You're listening to Out of Line with Caroline Lee, exploring offline realities with online personalities. William Matthews is an LA-based musician who rose to fame through his songwriting in the Christian and gospel genres. William is one of the only guests I've spoken with whose fan base grew outside of social media, and so his following is quite equal across multiple channels. William is a producer, coach, and also podcaster of his own show, Culture Shock. Little humble brag here, William is also one of my dear friends, so we got to sit down face-to-face and record this chat in my home. Okay, here we go. You ready? Do you need another sec? I'm ready. <coughs> I know, right? There's a great little thing my uh, made my friend Major as a vocal producer told me. He's like, <laughs> like that, uh, like for like, that, like there's something in it that does that. And then when you cough, instead of just coughing, they're doing, that <coughs> <coughs> actually gets it out and it doesn't uh, scratch your vocals because coughing scratches your vocals. Totally, but d- doing, it does. Like, the, the, <coughs> like, well, yeah, it, uh, it, it gets it out instantly without. Wow. Yeah. Is that the major that I saw at Hotel Cafe? Yes. That oh, <laughs> I love him. He's a special man. <laughs> He's one of those unicorns in life. You're like, yes. You are just an odd duck, but that's why you do what you do. And now he's like traveling all the world. He's major now. Literally. Oh, is he major? Major. He got, he got a. He charted on like a, a. He got a song charted on R, Billboard R&B. Pretty Whoa. high. Yeah. He's like like a, a hit single uh, on Billboard, and so now he's like touring, doing all these like big events. Like you know, his song like blew up. So now he's he's major now. Even since we saw him at Hotel Cafe. Wow. Cool, He's a legit cool, cool. R&B celebrity now. Dang, girl. Well, <laughs> the <dream>. Major. Mm. <laughs> and then we'll listen to the way he wants us to use our vocal cords. Yeah, yeah, we will. He it's, knows what's up. It's good. I got to make sure I'll play you his song later. It's beautiful. It's like, it's the wedding song of the century, like everyone. Really? Oh, God, yeah. It's Have this, I heard it then? Because I'm It's called Why I Love You. It's, it's, it's one of the most beautiful songs I think I've heard, like... And I think it got popular because a lot of people, it's such a good, there's not a lot of slow relationship songs that are beautiful and meaningful. And he was able to write one. And it just like, so now it's like everyone sings it at the wedding. (laughs) It's like, I'm like, you wrote a wedding classic, dude. If you never have another hit song, this song is going to like make you money forever. People are going to be playing this at their weddings 20 years from now. Damn. All right. I got to listen. I'm going to listen. Maybe I'll just splice it in right here. Yeah, yeah. Do it. This is why I love you. <laughs> it's the chorus. Major, we love you. Oh, well, I love you and I'm so Aww. glad you're here today. It's Me so too. fun to get to um I've been recording so many over Skype that it's mm-hmm. so great to just be like looking you in the eye and getting to sip coffee with mm. you and be in our homeland of LA. Los Angeles. Oh yes. Um so all right, so I've known you for for what two years? Maybe yeah, Maybe a little over two, two years. years. Yeah, and in that time, I've gotten to know you through a lot of same same circle friend stuff, which mm-hmm. is awesome. Um, but tell me something I don't know. <laughs> tell you something you don't know. Well, something you don't know that I don't talk a lot about is I am a major fan of reality shows. <laughs> And not just, you know, like, they're good reality shows and then they're bad reality shows. I kind of like the bad reality shows. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, and and, I, and partially, like, the more ratchet, the better. 
<laughs> with some of the reality shows. Like now there is such such a thing as being too ratchet. Like I don't go love and hip hop ratchet because now I will watch sometimes because, you know, but I have morals. But uh, <laughs> a good safe ratchet for me, though, is The Real Housewives of Atlanta. I have been faithfully watching that show since probably season two. And it's now entering season 10. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't even tell you why. I just, there's something about grown black women acting a fool <laughs> and being outlandish and dramatic that just warms my soul. And, and actually, maybe it makes me feel normal. I don't know. Or it makes me feel uh, like my life is boring compared to <laughs> their, I don't know. It's grand. It's silly. It's, it's, it's too much. It's legitimately too much, especially if you live in Atlanta, right? It's just the shoes, the clothes, the the lifestyles, the fights, the parties. Like it's, I don't know. I live in LA, and I still feel like that that life is too much. But wow, I was definitely that. I didn't think I would learn that about you today, and I yeah, I can't say I've even ever seen an episode myself. So oh, you have to watch it because there's. I mean, okay, so I started watching the show because uh, well, what drew me to it instantly was the uh, one of the main characters came on season two is Candy Burris, who's a songwriter. She's a famous songwriter. She wrote TLC's No Scrubs. She was in the band Escape uh, in the 90s. And so she had this run where she was writing sync songs. I think they wrote, like, Just Gonna Be Me, her and her writing partner. They had Mariah Carey hits. Like, so I remember her from the 90s. Like, oh, that's that girl from that group Escape. And then she was, like, a big songwriter with this producer, Shakespeare. And, uh, and they had a moment in, like, you know, in history where they were writing all these big number one Billboard songs. So I remember changing the channel. I'm like, oh, wait, that's Candy. Wait, wait, what is this show? Housewives of Atlanta. And then she was on this show and she was producing a terrible artist on the show named Kim Zolziak, who became a big uh, uh, celebrity off of that show. Um, but the girl couldn't sing. And so they had this song like Tardy for the Party that ended up doing like really well. And But then like Kim suits Candy over the song. So for me being like as a songwriter, I was just beginning in the industry. I started watching the show and this kind of drama played out. And I was like, oh, this feels just like my life actually a little bit because <laughs> oh publishing gosh. fights and splits and who gets what. So that's kind of how I started watching the show. And then ultimately uh, all the shade and the reads and the, you know, people telling each other off. It was just the finest uh, tell offs I've ever seen in my life. And that's kind of what stuck me around to the show. Wow. Wow. Okay. That makes sense. Cause I was going to say why housewives and why Atlanta, but now that yeah, makes total sense. It's, and I have a lot of family in Atlanta. I've never lived there, but, uh, it kind of gives me, even though it's very outlandish, it gives me a little bit of a picture of Atlanta. Because some people on the show, to me, like a candy, represents Atlanta, born and raised. Like uh, my, one of my cousins went to uh, school with all them. Like like Candy from Escape, Tiny, uh, uh, Ludacris, Outcast, Monica. They all like went to school together. And my cousin like went to the same like performing arts high school that they all like went to. And so. Uh, so you have people like that that are very grounded in the city, but then you have other people on the show who are just so just terrible and <laughs> big as life personalities. And and so it's kind of rootsy, but it's still pretty like outlandish, which I love the juxtaposition uh, of both. So like Nene Leakes is probably one of the, the top characters on the show. Character, she's an actual person, I should say that. Uh, and she she can tell anyone off. Like she has this, it's kind of the confidence of, being able to say what's on your mind and actually just say it, I think that's what draws me to the show. And especially, I started watching it and it was seasonal life, but I didn't feel like I had a voice. I noticed that too. That kind of intersected for me was this thing of like, here are these people that have a voice that just say whatever the, they want to say. 
You can say fuck on my show. It's I fine. can. I can say. I can. You can say the fuck word. Oh, should I say it? Should I not say? It? I've already said it on a liturgist podcast. <laughs> <laughs> should you I, can say it here. I can say it here. These people who don't give a fuck. Oh, you did it. I whispered it. Um, <laughs> shake, shake you know, it off. I shake just it shake it off. Uh, and they don't care. And they're saying how they feel about whatever they feel about. Mm. And I, there was something to me that called to me. Because <laughs> I was like, oh, you're not speaking up enough in your life. Mm. You're not saying enough. You're not. And if even if that's outlandish or they're doing it in ways that are over the top, they're still saying it. Why aren't, mm. you, why aren't you speaking? Why aren't you saying wow. how you really feel? Wow. So, so there was something like a, a, a subtle confidence that I think I got from watching those shows of like being in these social scenarios and someone's being fake. And then you just normally I just well, whatever you, you die back or pull back. And now I'm like, no, that's what that's what it is. And I just kind of don't feel afraid to call it out anymore. Wow. That might be too deep. No, <laughs> I love it. Of Atlanta, but no. Hey, it's real life. And. Um, have you ever have you ever met any of them in in real life? No. Have you ever interacted on the social meds? I, no, I've never. I've wanted to. Um, okay, so there's a couple other shows that I've watched too, and I have had one or two interactions. Uh, like so, uh, another reality show I love is Braxton Family Values. <laughs> <laughs> it's totally ridiculous. I know. Uh, Tony Braxton and all of her sisters have a reality show. It's been on for like five seasons, and it's an incredible show. <laughs> And one of the artists on the show is like one of my favorite R&B artists, Tamar Braxton, her sister. Obviously, we love Tony Braxton, too. Uh, but Tamar's released a number of records since the show came out. And like I've like tweeted her and she's like retweeted stuff. And so I've that that was like, oh, sh- oh shit, Tamar Braxton like retweeted me. Oh, my. Like <laughs> that was that was a high that that day. I, I think I'll never forget it. I think I have it screenshotted. But um, I love that show as well as uh, T.I. and Tiny show Family Hustle. <laughs> Why do I love the ratchet show? I told you I love like the <laughs> the semi ratchet shows because oh. show- <laughs> So what you said before that there's two ratchet. There is love and hip hop is two ratchet. All of them: New York, Atlanta, Hollywood. I've like dabbled in each, and no, well, Cardi B, who's you know blowing up right now with Bodak Yellow, she came out of love and hip hop New York. Um, but I didn't watch because again, those shows are too ratchet. <laughs> <laughs> I think also too they feel more staged where uh-huh. the other shows uh, well T.I. and Tiny show is for sure a, a more staged but it's like they're the ghetto Huxtables so it works <laughs> and that's kind of it's a family reality show thing with kids and stuff uh, Housewives of Atlanta though parts of it are set up a lot of it actually is happening in the moment and they talk about that like they don't know oftentimes what they're walking into and where love and hip hop feels very like producers all purely just whispering in your ear what to say or how to say it and then these over dramatic fights so it feels less real and more like i don't know if it's scripted or not like that's what i get frustrated with love and hip-hop as a brand but uh so i love the quasi semi-real but i mean semi-scripted but then mostly real Mm. type reality shows where the love and hip-hop brand to me is it feels like a forced ratchetness (laughs) like because that's kind of the I don't know. People want that, but yeah, it's almost like spectacle level. Very spectacle, and I don't, I don't know. I, that I'm like, why don't I just watch a good drama? <laughs> yeah. At that point, why do I want to see you know like Soldier Boy fighting with <laughs> Ray J when it's like all stage? You know, like it it just doesn't feel real to me. It feels mm-hmm. like it's just Hollywood trying to like be introspective on itself, which is yeah, terrible. Do you do you feel like? Um, 
just like a side note, I have like five questions coming up because I'm like, ooh, I want that. I, I don't know anything about this. Um, oh, it's a whole world. Yeah. Especially so, these black reality shows. It's a whole tell world. Tell me everything. So have you ever, do you have like premiere parties at your house where you watch it? With, do, you, do you watch oh, this with people? No, no, or is no. This like it is a guilty pleasure. Um, it's one that I do not share with most people okay. because of the associations of, oh, you watch one of those shows or, you know, how could you condone that? You know, because as a, as a music artist, I've primarily had a following built in Christian music, though I'm phasing out of a lot of that. That's where my following was. So for me, that was my brand, mm. was to be spiritual and deep and, you know, talk about Jesus all the time. Yeah. <laughs> and then to go, yeah, I love Jesus, but I also love NeNe Leakes and Housewives of Atlanta. <laughs> it, it, for people, especially because my, my audience wasn't gospel music, my audience was, uh, you know, white evangelical Christians. Wow. So they, that's a whole other world even on top of it. Like, I, like, you could be a gospel artist and say, I like Housewives of Atlanta. You could be a black gospel artist and people, black people understand that a bit. They'll go, yeah, 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 because that's kind of our culture and where we come from and whatever. But if you do that with white evangelical Christians, they don't understand it. You know, they still like, you listen to hip hop? Mm. <laughs> you know, don't you think the lyrics are bad? You know, you get questioned in that way. So uh, for me, it's a very quiet, guilty pleasure that I only share with a few close friends. Uh, and occasionally if a close friend comes to the house, I literally have it saved on DVR. I'm like, oh, you got to see this fight scene. <laughs> <laughs> you got to see the way she tells her off. Like, <laughs> I do that. But, uh, you know, in recent days, I've become a little more uh, public about it with a few friends on social media. But if I had the opportunity, I would live tweet every episode. Whoa. Like, I, I almost need to come up with an alternative account just to interact with all the the black Twitter people out there talking Real Housewives of Atlanta because I want to. So I see it and I get, I want to like it. I want to respond. But I don't because I'm, I'm stupid. But. <laughs> no, you're not. Oh, my gosh. That, I really, I think this is, this is a whole new opportunity that's opening up for you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> a whole new alter ego. I you can just, just, <laughs> you can just, I mean, I just say do it. Live tweet it. Say, like, deal with this. I'm, I'm evolving into this person. And Yeah, yeah. And, I, and I, I like it. And the hardest thing for me was last season, one of my favorite characters who became one of my favorite characters. Though Candy's my favorite character, and so is Nini. Nini left the show for a while. But my second favorite character was a woman named Phaedra Parks who was like a Southern belle, but then she married this guy after uh, while he was in prison. And then like for, I think it was money laundering or something, and he gets out of prison and ends up, they just put him back in prison <laughs> for the same thing. Oh. Um, but, you know, and she was like super Southern belle, kind of like black Southern belle, but very uh, protective of herself. She grew, Her mom was a pastor, and so she kind of put on this facade a lot. But I understood why she had the facade, because it was like she was religious, but then she was ratchet, and she kind of like, fluctuated with both long story short she started a very vicious rumor last season uh about not only one of the cast members being a lesbian but that one of the my favorite person who was her best friend candy that candy supposedly wanted to drug and rape her portia on the show yeah and no one knew that it, the rumor came from her phaedra just passed along like this is what i heard and i'd heard it from a reliable source turns out i guess she was the one and when it came out on the reunion it was like and no one on this, like, everyone freaked out. Candy's crying, and she doesn't do that a lot. It was so heavy. And then they, like, didn't ask her back on the show, and nobody wanted to work with her. Oh, like, it was that real. Wow. Like, it was not, like, the stage thing. It was, it was, like, how could you do that? Like, that was, it was such a violation to even the friendship that they had had formerly and whatever. So now this season doesn't have my 
favorite character who she oh. gave the best reads and she was the shadiest of, of them all. And, oh, but that sounds like total betrayal. It was a total betrayal. I don't know why I went on this tangent, but no, I love it. I love it. I'm totally into it. Um, and this, I'm about to maybe go on a tangent, but Fair. let's see where this takes us. Um, what do you think that the show says about, I guess you were, you're talking about like black culture. Mm -hmm. Um, do you think that it portrays black culture in a in an honest way and and if so like you know does do you watch it and and feel okay with the way that the rest of the world slash America is seeing the culture or are there things that come up for you in in terms mm -hmm. of any sort of stereotypes or racism or anything that yeah. you know I'd be curious totally. to hear your take on that um I so in a lot of ways I think I think the nature of the format which is reality it's a genre. So it's a genre. And knowing that that genre has excesses, like for instance, a soap opera has a type of excess of sentimentality or dramatism and acting style that, or like a, like a telenovela as well, that breeds something that is outlandish, something that is over the top. So knowing that reality TV has become a type of genre, um, I don't put the same expectation on Housewives of Atlanta to represent black culture to the world. And it's, purest, truest way, Be, especially because there's so many other representations out there in the world. Now, if that was the only representation, it would be like, uh, this feels a little, you know what I'm saying? Like, mm. why is this the only representation? But truthfully, I think, so with the excesses and the outlandish, foolish behavior and, uh, you know, delusional nature that just to be on a reality show, you kind of have to be a little, little delusional uh, or at least narcissistic and grandiose about your own personhood. Uh, with that being said, I do think in a lot of ways Housewives of Atlanta represents a type of phenomenon in black culture, particularly with black women. Uh, and so for me, I have a mom, and this is why I actually love uh, the Braxton family values, because it's Tony and all of her sisters. And she has, uh, I think it's five of them total or six of them. Um, and they all, they're all their names start with a T, Tawanda, Trina, Tracy, uh, whatever the rest of them, Tamar. Um <laughs> But it reminds me of my mom and her sisters. Mm. So when I watch that show and their interactions, their fights, their frustrations, and even elements and parts of Housewives of Atlanta remind me of black women I've met through the years. And it's a distinct type, like Nene Lee is a distinct type of black woman. And Phaedra is a type of black woman. And Kenya is, and Portia, and Cynthia, and all these people represent uh, real persons that I've met in my life as a black person that I've seen at the family reunions, you know, and, 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 and in their core essence as a personality. So in a lot of ways, I, I feel like it does represent us well uh, because we're not perfect people either. <laughs> and we're not like, we, we can be very messy and petty. <laughs> and, and I think the show kind of highlights the beautifulness of that and, and the humanity, as well as playing, like I said, into its framework and draw of it being a type of reality drama that, you know, breeds a type of, uh, excess which is you know it's like childish gambino's last record right this is maybe a good parallel or not let's go down the rabbit hole Do uh, it. is it awaken the dawn right so that's a throwback to a certain era of 70s and 80s type of r&b truthfully i don't want to sit and listen to that type of r&b because there were way too many instrument solos <laughs> there was like i mean if you listen to that record the excesses in which he takes musically can be can be kind of viewed modernly as like why are you doing that? Like, this feels excessive. Like, you're doing all these, like, phrasings and musicality things that don't even really 
work modern in modern times, but you're paying tribute and honor to something that's a throwback and the excesses kind of speak to themselves like they kind of are necessary or people almost over singing, right? There's a type of over singing that is bad and there's a type of over singing that actually pays honor and tribute to parts of our music history that where people have done that. And so I view kind of Housewives of Atlanta <clears throat> very similarly where I do think it represents an aspect, not the whole, not the complexity of black culture, black female identity. It's not, you know, my mom doesn't behave in any of those levels, you know, but I do see parts of her in them, you know, a more toned down version. Uh, and actually if my mom wasn't a Christian, she probably would be more ratchet. <laughs> That's also a part of it too. You know, my mom's super saved, but, uh, but if you press her a little too much, you might see some, she might, she, they, they know how to protect their families and they know how to, even be bullies at time because the world has bullied them and they, they have to be that for their families, for themselves because of what they've experienced. And so I see that in Braxton Family Values. I see it in uh, T.I. and Tiny. I see it in Housewives of Atlanta or shows like that. The, yeah. I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah, it's so interesting. I love everything that you've said. And I also am obsessed that you said your mom is super saved. <laughs> My mom is super saved. She's like, she's like, she can't sit here without expounding on a spiritual revelation she <laughs> had. I'm like, mom, can you just have a normal conversation? But she's actually, she's really sweet. She's not like, she's not judging you. She won't like, you know, if you're not safe, she's not going to treat you weird or whatever. But she's, she is that woman. And, but people come to her for that. She's worked on college campuses uh, as a teacher and as someone who's helped uh, write grants for uh, programs for disadvantaged youth in Raleigh, North Carolina. And so, a lot of kids like come to her for like spiritual guidance and you know nourishment. So she's kind of that person for her community. And mm. uh, yeah, so that's my mom. So I think she always has to be super safe because she's like a pillar in the community and she's trying to you know be represent something for kids that don't have that uh, wow. as well. Wow, she sounds very very inspiring. Oh, and... Elaine Matthews is a mm. G in her own right. <laughs> oh, hey. Well, next time she's out here, I'm taking her out for brunch. Okay. Ooh. We got to get her to do mimosas because she doesn't drink alcohol, but she did try mimosas once and she goes, I can do this. Because <laughs> she's super saved, you know? She's like, I don't want to I don't want to get people to think I'm a, you know, I'm a lush. And I'm like, well, try more mimosas. You might, might do you well in your life. Did she know there was alcohol in them? She knew. Okay. She likes to teeter, you know? She's, she's like one of those what they call free Christians. You know, she tries to be like, you know, I'm... I can, you know, but when you grow up thinking heaven or hell and that's the only way. Right. That's hard to get out of her psyche still. Yeah. Is heaven or hell, nothing else. And if you don't, if you're not choosing heaven, you are going to hell. Mm. And hell, heaven means holiness. And holiness means don't drink and don't go to movies. And my parents didn't have wedding rings when they got married because jewelry was considered a sin in our Whoa. denomination. Oh, yeah. They wore wedding watches. Are you serious? Very I've serious. never even heard of this in my life. Oh yeah, when I mean some of the strict holiness black church traditions didn't endorse movies. Movies were like graven images; they were idols. Uh, my grandfather wouldn't let my uh, dad and his siblings go see movies, but my grandmother would sneak and let them, like take them, you know, when he wasn't around. And uh, jewelry was considered, you know, uh, worldly. I think there's a passage in, in the Old Testament that talks about not wearing jewelry or. You know, it's considered gaudy and it's considered worldly possessions. And we don't give ourselves to worldly possessions. And so that was the sign of that was, you know, like your big hoop earrings would be like, <gasps> women don't wear pants to church. My mother didn't start wearing pants to church until she was in her late 30s. Wow. 
that for her was freeing. When she wore pantsuit to church, it was like, I'm free. Yeah. I'm liberated. Like, yeah. And so. Her Hillary moment. Yeah. Her, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah her, her, exactly. Her Hillary moment. Uh, and so, I don't know. That, that whole phenomenon is just, uh, uh, yeah. That's how they grew up. And like I said, no. Where did they grow rings. up? Uh, my mom grew up in Detroit, Michigan, uh, mm. and they were around during the Detroit riots. And I know we've talked about uh, that and your history with that. And your was it your grandmother as well? Um, you know, drove you guys over there to see it. Yeah, <laughs> she see, got like, her kids in the car and was like, "We're going, we're going to watch the the riots." <laughs> oh man, I know. I, I definitely have that blood in me. Yeah, I could see. I totally could see that. Just like <laughs> we're gonna get right in the middle of this conflict. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> drive right into the danger. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, the Detroit. My dad grew up in uh, eastern, excuse me, western Pennsylvania, uh, south of Pittsburgh, Oil City, uh, Sharon. Uh, yeah, and my grandfather was, you know, part of a big denomination, uh, a black denomination that had a campground south of Pittsburgh in West Middlesex, Pennsylvania. So my dad grew up there and then moved to Detroit probably in his 20s and then met my mom at church and then. You know, they got married with their watches. Wedding watches. <laughs> Wedding I, watches. I legit have never heard of this, and I'm amazed. Was that like a phenom? Was that like a, a phenomenon or a trend, or was it? Was it? Because I mean, like yeah, even I with rings, it's always everybody. You know, at weddings, they're always like, "This ring has no beginning and no end." But yeah. then with the watch, it's like <laughs> we take this off, and there's oh, a beginning. Totally. Yeah, I I don't know if it was a, a total trend or if that was just their unique thing that they did because. The perception of the church community, like we don't want to cause people to stumble. Yeah. We don't want people to look at us and think we're being worldly. worldly. Uh, and, you know, truthfully, years later, they got rings, uh, you know, after they realized that was silly. Um, and I think they knew at the time it was silly. But, um, you know, when when you get married and it's your tribe, that's your tribe is everything. And, you know, my grandfather was a holiness or hell preacher, too. My dad's dad, you know, and so a lot of I always forget how much how many decisions were made based on your community and the conditions of your community. And if we don't do this, then dad's going to be upset, you know, mm. or the church is going to be upset. And, and for my parents, church was their safety net as African-Americans. And I think for a lot of black Christians, church was their way of uh, escape from the exploitation of capitalism in America, <laughs> American racism, like church was your safety. It was the place of release emotionally, spiritually, physically, the, the freedom of dance. And that was all their, uh, and then as well, those were their tightest relationships. Like they weren't, they loved people outside of church, but they were not friends with people outside of church. Like mm. their close relationships. And even still to this day, for the most part, my parents' closest relationships are all the people they grew up with in church in Detroit. And they still, even though they don't even live in Detroit anymore, they're thinking about moving back. They still go up and like several times a year just to hang out with those people. Because that's, church was, your church friends and your family were your friends. Like my mom's best friends are her sisters. Mm. No one else. And and then it's the church relationships that they've known for 40, 50 years. And so for that generation, they that was community. And so for my parents, it was always hard, particularly my mom, it was hard for her to see me go outside of my race go outside of like my the bubble of having friends that weren't fully not that they hated that I had friends that weren't Christian they were cool with that but to be so close to them mm. to feel very you know like that was like well you need people that believe exactly like you and it's like actually I think our generation was very much like well, no we don't we don't need to do that and it doesn't affect my Christianity to have an atheist friend or have a friend who is 
LGBT or or even LGBT and Christian or LGBT and non-Christian. Like it didn't that we see that so differently now. But uh, for my parents' generation, that's still like a whoa, like you know, a major trigger. Yeah, and it, it they they felt safety in the group, you know, and and especially with everything that goes on in the American political system and like I said, racism. It's like you got to stay safe because yeah. What was it like for your parents to have? Because you were saying before that your your kind of audience was like white Christians. So yeah. for them, you know, that's a, a big separation from the, what their tribe looked like. Yeah. did Were they fine with that or did that bring things they up They didn't to them? even understand it until, uh, until it's funny because uh, I felt like my audience was mostly white. It started to trickle down into certain black circles because the music that we were creating, you know, just started getting out there. And so until they had uh, black people in their tribe who they knew and respected go, oh, my God, we've heard your son's music. Like you're, or total strangers, are, you know, go like, oh, you're William Matthews' <laughs> parents, which had never happened. It's always like I'm their son. Mm-hmm. And because my grandfather was really well known in certain denominations and my dad and mom, like they're in our, this circle, this small religious circle across the country. They're very well known. Mm. Uh, and so it was they didn't understand it because they weren't plugged into white evangelical circles. So they didn't see it. They didn't even, they don't even check social media even. <laughs> so like, it, it was like trying to explain to your mom, yeah, I'm going to Australia. I'm going to Europe. I'm going to da, da, da. Wait, why are you going there? What are you doing? You're singing something. And that's what you do for a living, huh? <laughs> that was a hard concept until people that they knew started coming up and, oh. Like validating. Validating. And then they went, oh, he must be doing something. <laughs> But that's because that's their world. And that's, you know, so with having that audience, they still don't understand. Not uh, not because they're not smart, but they just don't understand because they're not in those circles. So they don't know to what level what I've done has reached other than seeing that I've traveled internationally or a certain song has done well on YouTube or, you know, like, or gets on Spotify. Oh, that song has millions of plays. Like, oh, okay, you, mm. you've done something. I love that. Congratulations. Yeah. Do you have, um, I know you have other siblings. Are any of them in the church or involved in anything that is in that, in the same vein that you're talking about with your parents or have you all kind of done something a little different? Um, I think we've done similar and different, uh, in different seasons as well. My sister, she doesn't do music, but, uh, she's very involved in the church. Uh, I think they're even her and her husband are elders and deacons at a church, but it's not traditional. It's very loose and free. <laughs> and and they, they go wet, they don't have wedding watches. They don't have wedding watches, no. <laughs> yeah, and, and their church is mostly white now too that they go to. Uh and I, so I think they're the only uh people of color that's that are considered elders or deacons at this church, which is I think a huge step for the church to have that and to have them in that place. And I think it speaks volumes to people of color in that church. But um I think we we're all we're way more free. My siblings, um, I have two sisters, one five years older, one five years younger. Um, and we live our lives very differently. But, um, and I think that confuses my parents too. <laughs> we did not raise you guys like this. <laughs> You're, you, you have a drink every now and again? Like my dad's like, I got delivered from alcohol and your, my son is drinking. <laughs> Uh, that's hard for them. He's like, doing a lot more than that, daddy. <laughs> Only with Caroline and Jaden. <laughs> you know. <laughs> I know. I'm like, the, even the idea of uh, like, oh, I was at a bar last night. Like, my mom's like, you were at it. She instantly thinks the diviest of diviest bars with prostitutes and cocaine on the, mm-hmm. like, they don't even have a concept for like 
bar hopping mm. or or because or even pub culture like they've never gone to my parents have never gone to Europe so I'm like I tried to explain pub culture to my mom and, and she well she's gone to Africa and they're like oh they drink the Christians drink wine there like I tried it and you know I just don't think I can do that on the regular <laughs> you know that was like free for her but when I explain pub culture they're like what like Christians drink like that like that's yeah, I feel like I'm painting my parents in a terrible light. No, They're no, really no, good no, people. No, 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 like, you're nice not. People. I don't. I mean, I don't think you are. <laughs> but I think you bring up an interesting topic because I think growing up in a certain community that views other either activities or other types of people in a certain light, like puts them in a box and says this is what they're like. Yeah. Um. For example, in India, being gay is still illegal, mm-hmm. and so I was talking to a friend there. Um, and I, and he was going to New York. And so I thought, okay, this is important for me to let him like talk to him about what that is, like, what is gay? Cause I, I was like, I don't even know if he really knows anyone who is gay. And so I said, you know, do you know what gay is? And he said, oh, isn't, isn't that people who wear all pink? And I, and I was like, wow. And I mean, not to laugh at him. I, just, that, I mean, it's just, wild. it's, it blew my mind because I'm like, I want, I want to, I'm not going to laugh at him, and I, but I wanted to, I wanted to laugh because it brings up this like, oh my gosh, but, but that's literally what you get kind of told yeah. in certain, certain circles. And if, if you don't experience it yourself, then you just take what you hear and yeah. then that's what your perception is. And so I think that that's, you know, like not to, you know, take a totally different path, but also I just finished reading, um, a book by Lindy West. It's called Shrill. Okay. And she's um, like a stand-up comedian and she wrote this book and she talks all about like fat prejudice and she talks all about these mm. different things. And it's really, it's a great book. But then all of a sudden she just talks about her abortion and she describes it. And even that for me, I was like, wow, I have never, like it's so, yeah. the way that she just explains it because I think for for us, a lot of Americans were so used to the really intense like abortion debates and there's like all these, you know, photos of people that yeah. they hold up and it's all this, it's just this horribly graphic thing. And she's just like, I took a pill and then this, and it's just, I mean, it's really yeah. intense to, to read it and be like, whoa, this is so raw and vulnerable. And yet it was not at all the picture that I had in my head of what hmm. that was like. And so I think it's just like when you say talking about a bar talking about gay people, mm-hmm. talking about even different races. Yeah. Just the stereotypes that we have of like, oh, you know, a person from that country is like this. And that's where the stereotypes come from yeah. that can be so, so off. Like yep. there's obviously there's some truth in that. And there is somewhere there's a bar that has, you know, there there's <laughs> yes. sex workers it, yes. and Coke on the tables. I'm That's, that's p- probably in lots of bars, even in LA. Yeah. But it can be so dangerous to take kind of a seed of a stereotype and run it all the way through. And, and I think that that's something that can be more prevalent in like, um, I don't want to say religious circles, but kind of just, well, it, it, I, I totally agree with you. It's, well, it's human nature, right. To want to protect the purity of the group and to protect the innocence of whatever the group is. So whether it's heterosexuality, whether the group is Christianity, whether the group is, uh, dare I even say, pro-life, pro-choice, which are groups, um, and not really expose each other to the 
arguments, or not even the arguments, but the lived experiences of people that are different. Because there are people that have had abortion experiences that have been traumatizing to them. And many of pro-life advocates are pro-life advocates because they've had traumatizing abortion experiences. And they don't want other people to experience that. But then there are many people on the pro-choice side who are actually like, actually, this wasn't a terrible experience. And in fact, I feel, I'm glad that I did that for these reasons in my life. And, and so I think, oh man, we're, like there are 7 billion plus people on the planet and rising. Why do we think there's only one way to live? Mm. Why do we not think there are 7 billion ways to live? And 7 billion ways to be human. 7 billion ways to interpret this thing called reality and existence. And if any of these religions, so to speak, are going to be beneficial to us, which I think, truthfully, for the human experience, they've been massively terrible, but massively beneficial on lots of levels. Uh, if it's going to be beneficial moving forward, I think what we have to see them as is on-ramps into understanding the other and as on-ramps into the greater whole of existence and, and choosing to see your, your brother at, or the stranger as your brother. And, and I think uh, at, at the mystical level, Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism, Christianity point to that reality on their spiritual mystical levels, not their dogma levels, but on the, the higher plane, meaning the trajectory that these texts are pointing us to, it's greater inclusion always. And to reconcile the greater, uh, the piece, the fragmented pieces of humanity and bring them together. And so I think whether it's whatever your tribe is, and, and, and in our day and time, you don't have to be religious to have kind of a religious dogma mm, in a tribe. So you true. don't, because, so because true. you know, the, the fierceness in which some people defend pro-choice is like a type of dogma, religion, and, and pride. And the fierceness that some people defend pro-life is like that too. Or, or, you know, and dare I even say, it's more complex than this, but dare I even say the LGBT issue people, uh, it, it becomes so polarizing and it's not to dehumanize anyone's life experience or say, well, we should. It's like, it's, it, that would be like telling me, and I, I get how problematic that is. That'd be like telling me, well, you should just sit down with the white supremacists and really just hear them out and get along. Like, I'm not going to do that. Like, that's that's silly. So I get why uh, uh, people that are gay affirming or pro-LGBT are like, well, I don't want to like sit there and have somebody tell me that my existence is not only wrong, but I'm damned to hell or I'm going to tear apart the institution of marriage. Like, that's that's kind of crazy. Uh, but I do think, truthfully, every camp, right or wrong in the empirical sense, has a wound. Where's the hurt? Where do you hurt? What is the fear? Why do you fear the other? Why do you fear? We're all human. Like, why do you? Where does it hurt? Where mm -hmm. do you hurt? Mm -hmm. Who hurt you? Like, when I hear some of the political, and especially around these issues, and whether in the religious circles or non-religious circles, I just go... Who hurt you? Or, or what are you afraid of? And maybe you weren't hurt, but you somehow you became afraid of people that were different from you. Or that people could have an experience in the world that you didn't have. Or people could even have an experience in their body that you don't have. You know, I ran into, it's funny, you told me to listen to Janet Mock's podcast. I subscribed to it. And then I ran into her the next day <laughs> at a Solange concert. And I just was like, and I, I had seen some of her stuff, so I was familiar with uh, her talk on transgenderism, uh, which is still such a co complex thing that I don't fully understand. Mm. And I've wanted to seek to understand. And so I've, I've read articles. Vice News did a thing on trans youth that I loved uh, just to give me a grid for a starting place. Like, I don't. What is this? What is yeah. gender dysphoria? Like, I don't. Whatever. But even uh, choosing to even engage that conversation from a place of I want to understand 
that maybe you have an experience in your body that is different than my own. Like I don't wake up and feel like I'm not male. I don't. I've never had that experience. But that doesn't mean that there aren't people who legitimately have that experience and not just an experience that maybe there's a biological and chemical reality to it Mm. that is even something that I wouldn't understand. And that in and of itself is I want to know the other. I want to understand the other and not discount it so quickly or say, oh, they're just making that up or they're they're crazy or mentally ill, which a lot of unfortunately religious people do or just people. Um, I think if we had more compassion with the other and came together to understand not to tear each other down. I think we would be able to navigate the times we live in so much better. Mm. I love everything that you just said. And um, especially talking about the fear, there's always, uh, there's always a root cause, whether it, you know, if you dig at, at someone's belief system enough, even my own, if I dig at it enough, there's a reason why these beliefs that I have support me in mm-hmm. kind of like living day to day. And all of a sudden, if we pull those out, yeah. I mean, even even friends of mine who've gone through deconstruction and like, okay, I'm going to start challenging everything I believe. Mm-hmm. I mean, it kind of stops their life for a while. It does. You can't just keep going. If you're pulling at your beliefs or or at least like knocking at them to see which ones fall over, Your everything changes. Your whole life shifts, your friendships shift. And so I think for a lot of people, it's easier to ignore the fact that there might be a few like dead roots in their in their kind of mm. house because if you knock on them it changes everything and that's even scarier oh, yeah. than just kind of pretending that you can just keep going without kind of like yeah. addressing it so exactly and i think we're all unhealed people i think we grow up in a world that traumatizes us in little ways or big ways and we just often just roll and keep rolling without addressing those things. And many of those hurts and wounds, like you said, inform our belief systems, even not even our cognitive belief systems, but our unconscious belief systems. So, you know, even racism kind of points to that. Like you might have an unconscious bias, prejudice, or racial discriminatory behavior, but you don't even see it as that because it's more unconscious for you. But there's a wound there. There's Mm -hmm. a trauma. There's a lie you believed early on about the other. Um, And I think the more we can deconstruct, those things i think uh and our inability to deconstruct i think is what keeps us in antagonizing relationships with other groups of people because we're unwilling to look at ourselves and that's why i love the bible because the bible says you know take the you know like why are you calling out the speck in your brother's eye when you got the big lodge yeah like it's like that (laughs) that little baby on instagram stay in your lane (laughs) or like mind your business (laughs) worry about yourself Worry about yourself. Like, (laughs) don't spend your energy overly critiquing and criticizing the other. Do that on yourself Mm. and to be better and to be more whole and full versus, you know, telling them why they don't have God in their life or why they're not good enough. Um, I had a brainwave a couple months ago. And I do you not have those moment by moment, atom by (laughs) like (laughs) millisecond by millisecond? Well, hopefully I do. But I had a I had a larger than normal. Okay. And um and I went and raced to GoDaddy and bought um the other is my brother.com. So not someday I have to do something with it. But I was like, it was one of those days where I was like, come on. Why can't we see this in each other? Why why can't we do something with this? Me, you know, that's why me and Lisa Gunger wrote we have the song called free uh and shameless plug it's on free it's on spotify look up gunger free also I have a version of it coming on my album next year 
um, I don't know when this is releasing, but in 2018. Uh, and we wrote the lyric um, about Syrian refugees and police brutality, but we wrote this lyric, um, uh, in these desperate times, love will hold us here. Love will join our hands, teach us to have no fear. So we lay our hate down to wash their feet. When we see our brother, we'll all be free. It's the best song ever. Thanks. I, I love it. it so much. It's Thank such you. a beautiful song. And seeing you guys play it together live was like a year <laughs> a year highlight for sure. It's like Yay. very oh, it's like very healing and especially when there is so much weird crazy stuff going on it's oh, just yeah. like focusing on okay, what's the point and what are we yeah. all doing and what's like what's our shared intention and mm. that that stuff is very healing. So, yeah. I really love it. I love it. Definitely no shame in the plug. (laughs) Go listen to it. It's the best. I know we're trying to talk about being off brand. I was being on brand there for a month. You know, girl. (laughs) Um, So, okay. So, last question, circling all the way back to what brought us here, which is the Housewives of Atlanta Mm, and also going all the way to season 10 coming soon. (laughs) I saw the trailer and geeked. Okay, now I want to watch it with you. Oh, it is. I'm going to bring the whiskey. <laughs> we gotta, I'll find when it premieres. But okay. that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, I'll show you the trailer after this. You'll be like, oh, I need to watch the show. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I haven't seen any of it. So my last, since uh, we've been talking about all this stuff with the other, and is there any diversity shown in the show? And or are there themes that that you feel like we can learn from that are either, either in like a don't do this or do this that huh. are portrayed in the yeah. show? Um, so the show is, uh, I think the first number of years, the show, uh, there was a housewife that was, that is white, Kim Zolciak. She eventually left the show. She literally walked off the show one day and never came back for years. Thankfully, she's returning this season after like being being off like three or four years. Like she was done. She literally pulled off the thing was like, I'm done with this. I'm over it. Get me off this. Take the camera off me. And she legitimately didn't show back up for three and a half years until this new season. And she's only partially showing up. Um, so yeah, there was a, a, a white character, which that interaction was always, uh, those interaction with a group of black women and one, one white woman was always really interesting, uh, to have after that, you know, there were really wasn't much diversity on the show, but truthfully, that's kind of Atlanta. Atlanta is a very segregated city. And I don't mean, I don't mean that in a, a bad way necessarily. I mean, it in a more of it's, it's a primarily black city. Mm. And so that world is just. Like when I go visit my family in Atlanta, I'm pretty much only seeing black people in the whole city when yeah. I'm driving around. Like, or you know, it's like one in ten white or something. Yeah, yeah. one of my actress friends just moved there from okay. LA, and it's been so funny to hear her because she'll she'll be like, sometimes I just get jobs because the role it calls for a white person, and I'm the only one that yeah. showed up for it. And oh yeah, <laughs> it's probably it's such a. I mean, I remember once this is years ago because I I was living in Northern California with. <laughs> all white people, basically a, a small town of 90,000 people that was all, pretty much all white, 1% African-American. And then I was traveling with all white people all the time. So I just lived in a very white world for most of my 20s, I realized. So then I remember once during that time, I went to Atlanta and got on the uh, the, the MARTA, and, which is the tram system. <laughs> and I like, there was like a small group of white people sitting like close clustered together. And it was like all black people and they all were kind of sitting there. And I went, I went and sat next to the white people. <laughs> I was like, I haven't been in like an all black city in a long time. Like, I don't, I don't know if I can adjust. Like it was funny. (laughs) I know it's so funny to say this is like probably eight years ago. Uh, But even for me, it made me wake up and go, why do you feel more comfortable? You're black. Why do you feel you grew up with all like black family? You went to a black church. You even went to schools that were all black. Why do you not feel comfortable with black people right now? Oh man, that's a whole nother conversation. But um, (laughs) 
I love it. It's own personal yeah, yeah. journey that I've had to walk through and still walk through. But uh, so that's Atlanta. And so with the show, I think the show really reflects uh, black celebrity culture in Atlanta and just that world very well. So and also maybe and I think that's just good because that's the world like I, I don't I mean, there's no black people on Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. Because that's just not even the culture in Beverly Hills. Though there are black people in Beverly Hills, it's just not even prominent on mm. any level. Now, if they did, you know, Real Housewives of uh, Baldwin Hills, <laughs> that's where the black celebrities live, right? That would be a whole, you would even see that would be a whole different, you know, dynamic. Uh, but, you know, Bravo's not going to do a series like that. But um, anyway, so I think the show represents Atlanta really well. And it's not fully, of course, but uh, it represents a part of Atlanta really well. And I think... Um, if there's anything to learn from it, it's learn to speak your mind, learn to be yourself, learn to, you know, one one of the rules on the show, which I love, but I find this rule to be very prominent in black culture. No one likes to be fake. No one wants to be fake. So if there's like weird tension in the group or, you know, everyone's like, put it on the table, keep it a hundred. Like y'all not talking. Why? Like what's going on? You know, like, but I actually found that it, Growing up, black people are a bit more straightforward in that way, especially relationally, or they'll never feel the pressure to like you in a moment if they don't like you. Mm. Where in most of my experience with white culture, it's very much like everyone dances around each other and it's like, we're all nice and we're just trying to all stay polite, you know, but there's like all this enormous tension. And I'm like, how do y'all live like this? Dear <laughs> God. <laughs> you I know, don't know. Like, yeah. It's, you know, like it's, it's a whole dynamic that I just go, y'all just really like to sit with some, some tension and just like, but you know, you even kind of see that even on the, 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 the Bravo shows that feature all white cast like in the and they're exaggerated too and they get in the fights but it's every all my white friends are like oh i can't watch atlanta it, it's too black it's too like in your face and i'm going but that's black people we're just like that in general yes the show's outlandish for sure so it's hyped but that's just who we are and so if there's anything to learn from it it's call shit out when you see it call it fake when it's fake and you don't have to engage with it if it is, if it is. and that's fine i don't have to be your friend you don't have to be my friend I can even respect you and not have to be your friend. Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. And I think that it's really hard for people, especially with, there's this kind of this pressure of like, oh, it, you have to be nice or it has to look this way, which just kind of breeds fakeness because yeah. you, like you said, I can respect you and not want to be your friend. I can, and I actually have one person in my life that I have that with. And it took us probably two years of kind of like, this sort of tension and tug of war of like our friendship isn't yeah. quite driving and like I don't really maybe I actually don't want to be your friend at all and then we took like four months without talking and then we had this amazing conversation of like yeah what if we just respect each other and just leave it at that and now we text each other like once every three months just like thinking of you today and sending yeah. love we don't get together and sit and chat and have long glasses of wine together but there's so much just respect and yeah. I think that that is so possible. It's, that it's so possible. It's so possible. And I don't I don't have to absolutely want to be a part of every single day of this person's life yep. or or like hang out and share the same jokes. And, you know, maybe their personality rubs me the wrong way and vice versa, because let's be honest, my personality is a little bit stronger than a glass of water. And <laughs> <laughs> That's an understatement of the year. But it's beautiful, though. And anyone that can't handle you, though, they just can't hang. Well. That's real. <laughs> I'm very real. <laughs> you can't handle Caroline, then you just can't hang with, with real people. That's what I say. 
Thank you. That's true. Well, it's just, it's so freeing to just be like, respect, love, but not right next to me. Yeah. And that's okay, though, because the world is huge and there's enough space for us not all to be in the same room at the same time. You can be in a different state, a different city, or even just a different building Mm -hmm. and be like, love. Love, respect, and even could point out areas of disagreement where, oh, I don't like this, I don't care, like, or that way of thinking, whether it's on social media or whatever, and still go, I still can respect and love you in your context because we all live in that, our context and our lived experiences and our shared experiences. And your context might be something I don't have a grid for or understand. And that's fine. And I don't even have to like it personally. Or it rubs, like you said, rubs me the wrong way. Their personality, which really comes out of a lived experience. Somebody's personality comes out of that. So that's fine. But I can respect you and love you and celebrate you from afar without having to agree with you on everything. Mm, yep. And But I can love you enough to give you that space. And love you enough and love myself enough to know I don't have to interact with that space. Because I do, like, I have a lot of friends that are pro-life. And I love that. And I have a lot of friends that are pro-choice. And I love that, too. And I sit somewhere in the middle in a lot of ways. But I can respect your context. So sometimes I've been wrong when I've judged my pro-life. The only, where I've judged them to be like, you have to think like me. And I'm like, no, actually, they're coming out of a context. And maybe they're even coming from a trauma. Mm. Uh, you know, I have pro-life friends that are like, my mom considered an abortion. If she did, I wouldn't be here. So that's why I'm a pro-life advocate. Because I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for her choice to do that. And I think there are other kids that would be here without, you know? Mm-hmm. And I could see that. Doesn't mean that it takes away from the legitimate arguments that pro-life, pro-choice people have about autonomy of body and freedom of choice. Which is funny because that's a very conservative ideal, <laughs> you know, and also that the government shouldn't decide what you do with your body. You know, and then where does life actually begin? Is a fetus a person? Like, and, and all those complex wrestlings and questions, and these two lives are conflicting with each other, and who wins out? You know, at the like, it's all so valid, even on the progressive left side mm. uh, as well. And so, again, I agree with you. I can respect that bubble and know that that your context is your context, and I can uh, come in and out, and I don't have to be best friends with you. I just don't. I can be myself, and you can be yourself. And truthfully, hopefully, I think we'll, as we learn to live with each other and the rest of humanity, I think we'll always just slowly come closer together. That we'll kind of find that beautiful middle, maybe. I don't know if it's a middle necessarily. I don't know. But we'll find that beautiful harmony with the tensions. And I think we won't find ourselves in perpetual culture wars like we do. Oh, I hope so. I'm ready. (laughs) I'm ready. Next level. Praise Jesus. <laughs> Won't he do it? Get us there, Lord. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I love you. Love you too. Stick around for part two of this discussion, where we'll dive into the online portion of social media realities. This episode of Out of Line was produced by me, Caroline. All sound editing, engineering, and original music composition by Jaden Lee. And a big thank you to Cat Footwear for working with Out of Line this season. Hit subscribe to get the next episode on your mobile device when it drops next week. And if you love what you heard, please whip out a review, will ya?